Well, good morning to everyone. Thank you all for being here, of course. Uh, we're going to continue our study. And uh, in the seven sayings of our Lord upon the cross, of course, we're on number six. This, uh, Lord willing, will be the final uh, time we will examine the sixth saying of our Lord from the cross. So let's turn to John chapter 19. Of course, we're going to read the saying that we're studying just to get a uh, little review here. John chapter 19 and verse, and verse 28. John 19 verse 28 says this, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there, set, now there set was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. All right, let's pray again. Lord in heaven, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together as your people, as your church, at the appointed time uh, to give our hearts and our lives and our time and our attention, and our devotion, and our uh, affection to you as we gather together corporately. Lord, help our hearts to be in one accord, and uh, Lord, as we look at your word, we ask that your spirit would teach us. And Lord, with these important truths, Lord, I pray that you would drive these truths home to me, and also to all that are here this morning. I pray for those that are uh, still coming. I pray that you would bless them and, and protect them and bring them here and safely. And for those that uh, for some reason couldn't come or even chose not to come, I pray that you, would, uh, that you would encourage them and help them to join us as we study your word. Lord, we desire that we would know you better and that we would walk with you more closely. Please bless our time today. Lord, we acknowledge we don't have any ability to uh, understand your word or profit from it, except that you teach us. But Lord, we are confident uh, that you'll do that because we have the teacher within us, the Holy Spirit. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for everyone that's here this morning. And Lord, we thank you for the mothers that we have, the mothers in our church. Thank you for uh, the precious people you've put in our lives uh, that have made such a profound impact upon us. Lord, we appreciate that and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 19, and uh, the sixth saying is, it is finished. Now, the last uh, two, two weeks, we have been discussing what this could, this statement possibly means. I say possibly, it, it's obvious what it means. Uh, and we've covered two, two of the three points that, uh, that uh, deal with the meaning of it, it is finished, because I'll just point out once again that when the Lord says it is finished, He doesn't actually tell you what He's referring to. He just says it is finished. But I think if you read through the different uh, parts of the Scripture, especially, especially in the book of John, uh, the Lord actually uses this term a number of times. The, the, the word that's translated finished or accomplished uh, he uses it in the book of John. We're going to look at that uh, today, especially. So the first thing we saw is that the prophecies that referred to the Lord's life, His incarnation, His, his life, his, uh, his, and His death, His sufferings and death, were 
finished. In other words, every single one of them down to the very final one, which was the, the part about the vinegar, he'd be offered vinegar, uh, and gall, even right down to that very moment, every minute detail of the Lord's, of the prophecy concerning our Lord was fulfilled, was fulfilled. And, of course, we know that the Lord was using that as a, you know, the prophecies were kind of his, what guided him. In other words, he was aware of the prophecies. He was aware of all the things that had to be fulfilled prophetically, and he made a point to do all of those things. And we're going to see that that fact was always before his, before his uh, face in the front of his mind at all times. And then the second thing we looked at was it is finished as it relates to redemption. When the Lord says it is finished, uh, he at that time, two millennia ago, completed the work of salvation. It's done. It's done. It is only for us to come to God with a humble heart and with faith to receive what He did, what He did. And that's a, that's a wonderful truth, a truth that gives us, can, it can if we understand it and we believe it, it can give us such peace because we know the things that Christ did, not what we did, but what He did, number one, He finished it and completed it. There's nothing else to be added to it. And nothing can, can change it or take it away or alter it. It is done. It is done. I'm glad that, listen, every, every religion in the world lays out salvation as a series of steps that must be, that must be uh, checked off and accomplished into the future in order to attain that salvation, whatever that might be in, that, in each case. But what the... But, in the scripture, salvation is described, redemption, the atonement is described as something past. And it's something, of course, it's past in its work. And, of course, we know that its effect is in the future. That's why the Bible refers to the redemption of the body, which hasn't happened yet, right? But that redemption is going to ripple through our existence. And one day it's going to have its consummation and we're going to have a new body and we're going to be with the Lord, and nothing's ever going to change after that. But the, the redemption, the atonement, the work, we call it the finished work. And that's why it is finished. The finished work of Christ upon the cross, it is something that's a done deal. It is only ours to receive as a gift. That's amazing. It's amazing. And uh, just as a note, you know, we talked about the phrase, uh, the finished work of Christ on the cross, or the finished work of Christ. Just be aware Whenever you have an opportunity to witness to someone who doesn't know the Lord, this, and this goes generally speaking, okay? Be careful of your terminology. And I'm not saying make sure you use the right terminology. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is be careful that the person you're talking to knows what you're talking about. Because oftentimes, as an example, you know, we, like I said, we'll, we'll describe the finished work of Christ on the cross, and we'll say it in one mouthful. In Cambodian, it comes into my mind, mamak. You know, one mouthful. We'll just say that in one string, and they have no idea what we're talking about. It makes perfect sense to us, but it doesn't do any good if that person doesn't understand it. So when you use these terms that we, we you know, when Pastor Stewart preaches from the pulpit and he says the finished work of Christ on the cross, er, pretty much every single one of us knows what that's talking about. But a lot of people don't. 
that don't know the Lord and don't know the Scripture and stuff. So take time. Don't assume people know. Take time. What, hey, what harm, what harm is it going to do, right, James? What harm is it going to do when you're witnessing to someone and you mention the finished work of Christ on the cross and you just pause and say, now let me explain to you about the work of Christ and how it's finished. I mean, is that not the gospel? <laughs> I mean, you ain't going to do any harm to explain that. Well, they already know it. Well, they ain't going to do any harm to explain it. A lot of people know the facts, but they don't understand the ramifications and uh, I know in Cambodia that was true. The Philippines, I'm sure it's true, being a predominantly Catholic country. You know, everybody knows the facts, but I have no idea why that, you know, just like we studied last week, you know, somebody, some, someone I know when presented with the gospel that Christ died for our sins, they thought it was to give us a good start. Well, I think that's a proper time to say something like, well, let me explain what the finished work of Christ on the cross means. So uh, just as a side note there, as a matter of just uh, good practice when we witness. I guess being a missionary, probably, uh, probably ironically to some degree, being a missionary, being in a place that where people were largely ignorant of the gospel, and then coming back to Greenville of all places, the most probably gospel-saturated place on earth. That's just unbelievable. But anyway... Coming back to Greenville, you know, you think, well, everybody knows everything, everybody knows about the gospel, but actually being a missionary actually did the reverse. It made me realize that people don't know hardly anything about what they think they know. And uh, even church-going people, even church-going people, even church-going people. So don't take it for granted. Okay, let's move on. I spent way too much time talking about that, but you guys listened well, so it made me want to talk more. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, so if you, if you sit quietly and don't say anything and act disinterested, then I'll, talk, I'll get through the lesson and we can go eat some donuts or something, okay? I hope you brought donuts. All right, so the third thing we're going to study uh, about the phrase or the sentence, it is finished, is this, that the Lord's, the Lord's mission was complete. That's what we're going to study. So the prof- prophecies were fulfilled and finished. The atonement or redemption was finished. And now, as it relates to Christ's life and his purpose and his mission, personally, that was fulfilled, okay, for him personally. Now, remember, when we talk about the deity of Christ, we're talking about, you know, we know that Jesus is God, and but when the Lord was was came as a man, when he took upon him the form of a servant and he became a man, he, he we might say, we, he temporarily, temporarily, voluntarily laid aside his glory and some of the privileges that, and rights that he had as God to become an example to us. Now, is Jesus Christ an example to us? Right? I, I was reading something this morning just by chance. Uh, it was something I had posted on Facebook years ago, and you know, the memories pop up, and and it said uh, it was a quote from Charles Spurgeon, and he said way back in the 1800s, 1860s, he said, you know, what would Jesus do? But there's another question asked: What would Jesus do, and how would Jesus do it? That's pretty good, I thought. So Jesus Christ, we know, is an example to us. Our Lord is an example to us. Now. 
That was not his primary mission. See, that's, we cannot let, listen, we're, we're Baptist people. Before that, we're Christian people. We're, we're Bible-believing uh, believers in Christ, okay? That's number one. We're Baptist people. The Bible is our rule of faith and practice. You know, there's a lot of other, and I, you know, not, I'm not casting stones. You know, we could talk about that another time. But we're not right because we're Baptist, right? We're not right because we're right. God is right, period, right? God is right, period. That's all that matters, okay? Whether we're right, they're right, it doesn't matter. God's right. That's the point. Okay, so when you look, though, at other, at other groups, what you do observe is a lot of other things besides the Bible kind of influence what they believe. It's not just the Bible, and that's just a fact. There might be catechisms and confessions and traditions and and proclamations of various prophets and such, like in Mormonism or whatever. But for us, it's the Scripture. That's the bottom line, period. It ends there, okay? Now, here's the problem. What, what the world has done, it has taken the message of Jesus Christ and has reinterpreted it and has taken the New Testament and the teachings of Christ in, in the Gospels and has reinterpreted it and given it a different meaning than what's actually in the Scripture. We don't care about that. We care about what the Bible says, right? And they say, the reinterpretation says, Jesus came to be a good example. Now, we know that He was a good example to us, to believers, right? He was an example to believers for us to follow, yes, but His primary mission was the cross. You can't mix that up. The New Testament is about the cross and the resurrection, the gospel. It's not about his example, although that's there. But see, that's the way the world has reinterpreted the message of Christ. It's not their message. God's message is the cross, the gospel. We got to make sure our emphasis is right on that. All right, now we've established that. Our Lord did provide an example to us. Our Lord did provide an example to us. And when he said, it is finished, his mission, his, pers his personal, individual mission before his God and Father as a man was fulfilled. He completed it. You see what I'm saying? God gave him a mission and he did it. And he finished it. Okay, and that's one, of the, that's one of the meanings of it is finished. And I think you'll see that pretty clearly in just a minute. Look at John chapter 17, if you would, just a couple pages back. Of course, this is what? This prayer is called the what? Joseph is going to give me a good answer. I know it. John 17 is called the what? Say again. Correct. This is the Lord's prayer. Some people call it the high priestly prayer of the Lord because he's praying for his disciples primarily and also by extension praying for us. Um, the Lord's, uh, what, what we read in, in uh, Matthew is the model prayer, uh, not actually the Lord's prayer, but you know, we're not going to quibble over that except that I just did. But anyway, John 17, verse number four in his prayer, listen to what the Lord says. 
He says, I have glorified thee. Again, this is our Lord as a man. Again, okay, I've got to stop here because some people get really hung up on this. When you talk about the deity of Christ, that Christ is God, people like Jehovah's Witnesses will go to John chapter 17 and they'll say, if Jesus is God, then how can he pray to the Father? Okay? Well, he's also a man. And in his capacity as a man, he prays to the Father. When we say that Jesus is God, and we say we believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the, Son, God the Holy Spirit, we're not saying we believe in three gods, nor are we saying that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are the same. They're three persons, but the same essence, one God. That is the nature of God. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. So that's how, as a man, in his nature, as the second person of the Trinity, communicates with the Father, who is the first person of the Trinity. That's the ex explanation. That's how Jesus can be God and yet pray to the Father. That's the answer. Okay? Just as a side note. He said, I have glorified thee on the earth. Now listen to these words. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now we know, we know that this is, this is the prayer, this is the, the, the final kind of prayer of the Lord before the cross, okay? His work is largely done. All that's left is the, 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 the actual, his actual suffering. But he's saying, I have finished. This word finish is the same word when he says it is finished. He's saying the same thing. But notice what's in view. He says, I have finished the work which thou, that's God the Father, gave, gavest me to do. So what that tells us is God the Father, God gave the Lord Jesus Christ work to do while he was on the earth. In other words, Jesus Christ had a mission. He had a mission. He did not come to earth aimlessly. He did not come to earth. He was not incarnated and come to earth in order to do what he thought best. Again, as a man, 100% man. He came to earth with a mission and he knew that mission. He knew his purpose. He knew why he was here. And the reason he was here and his purpose was a purpose that was given to him by the Father. It was not one that he determined himself. You see that? Look what it says. I have finished the work which thou, the Father, gavest me to do. The Lord knew his mission. He didn't live ignorant of his mission. And the knowledge of the mission given to him by the Father is what drove what he did. What drove what he did. The Lord Jesus Christ, again, as our example, did not determine how his life would be spent. You're going to see this just perfectly clearly in just a minute, I promise. His life was determined by the Father, and he obeyed. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, what does it say? It says, and being found in fashion as a man, what? He became obedient. 
Now, if you're obedient, that means another is giving you commands, right? That's kind of the idea with obedience. A command is issued, received, understood, and obeyed. Who is giving the Lord Jesus commands? Who is directing his life? The Father. Right. Okay? Let me ask you some questions. What has God given us to do on the earth? There's there's a lot of things, right? There's many things. But just as a matter of, of thought, has God given us a task or a mission to fulfill? Has God given you a task or a mission to fulfill? Yes, unequivocally. What is that mission? For you and for me. Do we know what that mission is? Are we fulfilling that mission? Now, the reason I'm asking, I'm not trying to be melodramatic. I'm trying to ask in a probing way because it is a probing question. We should ask ourselves, am I fulfilling? I should, Adam Wood should ask Adam Wood, am I fulfilling the purpose for which I am here? It's a good question. Sometimes I don't like the answer, but it's a good question. See, you see, there's no way to know if you have finished your work as an individual that God has given you to do if you don't know what your work is. Now, we talked about that last week. How could Jesus know, or the week before last, how could Jesus know that he had finished all the prophecies if the prophecies were unknown to him to fulfill? How could your workers know that they've uh, Joseph, that they have done their job and have been successful in that day unless you clearly uh, express to them what their responsibilities are, right? And when you do that and they fulfill it, they did a good job. They fulfilled their work. Many Christians live in ignorance. This is how most people live on the earth. Here's, here's, how, here's how it goes. Most people live for pleasure with no regard for what God wants them to do. Let's just put it, put it in simply. Most people live for pleasure and they have no regard. They never ask the question, why am I here? What does God want me to do? Even Christian people. They never want one thing when you talk to Christian young people. You know, youth. You know, even, even like Brother James's age, Joshua's age. And Joshua knows because jo- I've asked Joshua a number of times, and I will ask more, which is this. Why are you here? Why are you here? What is your purpose? What has God given you to do? And when I say that, I'm not asking for, I'm not really asking for something specific, like does God want you to be a, you know, Butcher, or does God want? No, what I'm saying is, scripturally speaking, what does God want you to do? What is your purpose? What is your mission? And 
And in uh, John 17, verse 4, he says, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. You see, God has work for us. He has ways uh, in which he wants us to occupy ourselves. Ways to occupy ourselves that profit for eternity. Remember what Matthew chapter 6, 19, 20, it says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, but it says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He wants, he, God, has, God has things He wants us to be, and God has things He wants us to do. Are we doing them? You know, it's a good thing. You think about heaven and people, people have this idea that we sit on clouds and pluck harps and stuff like that. But actually, that's what they say, right? But actually, heaven is a place of activity. You know, you think, well, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven when I die. Yeah, you will. But then not, not too long after that, the Lord Jesus is returning and you're coming back and there's going to be a thousand year reign upon the earth. And you know what you're going to be? You're going to be, a, you're going to be one of the rulers that rule with him in his kingdom. I think you're going to have some things to do to occupy your time. You're not just going to be sitting around plucking harps. And then after that, did you know that in the new heaven and the new earth, there's mention in Revelation 21 and 22 of nations? You know, there's things going on. Here's the thing. God does not want us idle for him. He has a job for us to do. He has things for us to do to occupy ourselves. It is part of our mission, His mission for us. He has things for us to do that glorify Him, number one, and that bring us satisfaction and fulfillment. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, if you would. Did you know that the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ was clearly expressed in the Scripture as a matter of prophecy before He ever came? In Psalm number 40, which is quoted in Hebrews chapter 10. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 5. Notice the context very clearly. The Bible says this. Now, I want to ask you, I'm going to answer the question, but the question is, what was the mission and purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking broadly, what was His mission and purpose as He understood it when He came to the world? That mission which He fulfilled. Here's what it is. As prophesied in verse, verse 5 of Hebrews 10, Wherefore, when He cometh into the world, now this is talking about the Son of God, He saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, the Son of God speaking, lo, I come. Okay, this is His incarnation. He's coming from heaven. This is prophetic now. thousand years before the Lord actually came, prophetically, Jesus says, I'm coming, I come. Why? Why is He coming? In the volume of the book is written of me, talking about the volume is, a, is a, like a volume of a book, a, a, a scroll. We would call, you know, the book is in volumes, you know, encyclopedias in volumes. In the book, it is written, here's his purpose. I come to do thy 
will, O God. Jesus had one purpose, broadly speaking, to do the will of God. Again, Jesus had one purpose, to do the will of God. It was established, his purpose was established long before he came. His mission was determined long before he showed up. This mission was given by the Father. It is a clear statement of his whole purpose. Everything else, the Lord Jesus, everything, without exception, right? Everything else Jesus Christ did fell under this purpose. Why did he go to the cross? It was the will of God. Why did he meet the Samaritan woman? It was the will of God, right? Right? Why did he take the vinegar when it was offered? It was the will of God. Everything he did. And that's why he said, he gave, he gave a testimony. He said, I do always those things that please the Father. The will of God was his sole purpose. Now, as our example, I live and you live to do the will of God. Now, I'm not saying we're doing it. I'm making a statement of purpose. That is why we're here. I exist and you exist for that purpose. None other. Here's the problem though. A statement like that, which is purely scriptural, cuts clean across the tendency we have in every single one of us of self-will. It cuts clean across it. It does not sit well with us. I live, yes, I live, but my life is to be for God, His will, and not my own. Look at John chapter 4. So before the Lord came, the statement of His purpose is made. Of course, we know when He was uh, 12 years old in the temple, when He was lost and His parents found Him, what did He say? Wist ye not that I must be about my Father's business? He, was, he, he, he understood his, his purpose to do the will of God and be about God's business at that stage. John chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman, verse 34, look at what it says. They come to him. Uh, they bring food. He says, verse 32, I have meat to eat that ye know not of, meat being food. Therefore, he said, uh, said the disciples to one another, hath any man brought him aught to eat? He saith unto them, my meat Again, food, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. You see, that's his purpose, clearly stated in Hebrews 10. And to finish his work, there you have John. It is finished. Same word. The Lord Jesus Christ, to him, doing the will of God is what sustained him and satisfied him. He was hungry. Notice the comparison with food. He was hungry to do the will of God and would not be satisfied 
until that was fulfilled. Notice also in verse 34, it says this, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. Whose will is Jesus doing? His own or someone else's? He's doing God's will. His will didn't matter. He knew his purpose was to fulfill God's will. So this work is God's work, appointed by God for the Lord Jesus. It was appointed by, to him by the Father. And really, all the verses we'll read, this is a recurring theme. He's not doing his own will. He's yielding his will and saying, Lord, he's saying, Father, I didn't come here to do what I want. I exist for, to do your will, not my own. He expressed it in prayer over and over in his life. Let me ask you a question, talking about food. What is it that satisfies you? What is it that you hunger for? Are you satisfied with mere bread? Or must you do the will of God to be, to be satisfied? Now you contrast that with the disciples. The disciples came, what were they thinking about? They were thinking about food. They were thinking about food. They were occupied not so much with the will of God, but with satisfying their temporal needs, their bellies. The will of God was not in their minds, but the will of God was in our Lord's mind. Now, here's the thing. How often do we think about food? Just as, a, you know, we think this might be a little bit comical, but I think about food a lot. Like, a lot. I have, yeah. I have thought about food more today than I have the will of God. No doubt about it. Just being honest with you. Do we think about the will of God as often as we think about food? But here's the thing. If we do not think of the will of God and what God wants us to do, consciously, intentionally think, what does God want me to do at each stage of our day? We're not going to do it. But we have no problem thinking about what we're going to eat for the whole day. Right? That's just, it's just a fact. To the Lord, the, he, the Lord used the comparison with food. John, uh, Matthew 6, 25, listen to what it says. Jesus says, Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment, clothing? Now, listen, if you would, listen closely. Is your life not more than what you eat? Is your life not more than the clothes you put on, the car you drive, and the money in the bank? Is your life not more than pleasure? Do you not have a higher and greater and more significant purpose than that? You do. The life is not about food and clothing and money in the bank. The life is about God's will 
that is all that matters. That is all that matters. That's why we exist. That's why the Lord came. You see? He's our example. Look at John chapter 6, if you would. Again, just walking through John. The Lord's talking to his disciples in the subject of the bread of life. Verse 38. John 6, verse 38. Notice what it says. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Again, this verse speaks to the the Lord's great design and purpose of his life. He did not determine what he would do with his life. He yielded his life up to the Father as a sacrifice. He yielded his will up to God. He did not, he, he did not say, I'm going to do what I want to do. He said, no, I'm not deciding this question. I'm going to offer it to God, the Father, and I'm going to say, Father, what is it you want me to do? This is the question that many Christians never ask themselves. Lord, what do you want me to do? Again, we're not talking about big plans and career goals and long term. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, I'm talking about broadly speaking, the purpose of our lives. Because this speaks to the purpose of our lives. Joshua, Brother Lester, Zach, Ms. Aguilar, Ms. Karen, why are we here? Why do you live? For what purpose? Is it really just, I mean, I'm asking myself too, is it really just to get money, so to pay the bills, to feed our bellies, to drive our car, to continue to exist? Or do we have a higher, we have a higher purpose. All those things God takes care of, that's all fine and good, but we have a higher purpose. We must take our will and our life and we must yield it to God and say, God, what is it you want me to do? That's why I live. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? See, the problem is the struggle for us is the struggle between our will, our will and God's will. And it's not that we think God's will is bad because we don't. We don't think God's will is bad. It is that we loathe to surrender our own will. That's the key. We loathe, every one of us, myself included, we loathe to surrender our own will. We have things we want to do. Jesus said, I came not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Now, passing on from the Lord Jesus and the life, the example he gave, let's look at Acts chapter 20. A couple more verses, we'll be finished. Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. 
course, Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders in his parting uh, conversation with them, exhortation perhaps. Notice the words he uses. Now, Paul is in the middle of his ministry, right? He's in the midst, not the beginning, but certainly not the end, but he's in the midst of his ministry. And in Acts 20, verse 24, he says this, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. A course is a predetermined circuit in a race. The racer, the runner, does not determine the circuit. It's determined for him. He is, he is only to run and finish. God has laid it out for us. And this circuit, this course, is His will. And there is a finish line. And in this verse, Paul says he, he did not count his life dear unto himself. This is a description of self-will. I only have a short amount of time, right? That's what we think. I only have a short amount of time. I, I, there's things I want to do. That's your life being dear unto yourself. This is ordering one's own life. And this is the philosophy of the world. 1 Corinthians 15, 32 quotes the philosophy of the world. It says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That's the philosophy of the world. They say, I only have this short life. I got to have some fun. I got to do some stuff. I got stuff I want to do. I, I, I mean, my life's going to be over. I got to get some things done. And we insert whatever we want, whatever we desire in there. That's the philosophy of the world. But for us, let us say, let us live for God for tomorrow we die. Our life is short. That is not the, the pretext to give ourselves over to our own will, but our life is short. That is, the, that is the pretext. That is the reason we go to God and say, God, my life is short. I'm here for you, your will. What do you want me to do? That's what it's about. Lastly, look at 2 Timothy really quick. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now at the end of Paul's life. Now, the previous verse told us about what Paul said about running his course and doing, fulfilling his purpose in the middle of his life. This is now at the end of his life. His life is, is just about over. 2 Timothy 4 verse 7, he says this, I have fought a good fight. Same words, I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. Perfect tense. It's done. Finished. Same word as Jesus spoke. He's finished his course. The only way you and I will be able to review our life, our life at, the end, at, the end, at its end and do so with joy is if we have finished the work that God gave us to do. And that we have fulfilled His will and purpose for our existence. This is what it means to finish one's course. 
If we neglect to do God's will now, when we come to the end of our life, we'll be unsatisfied and regretful that our purpose for existence was unfulfilled and undone and our race was incomplete. God's design and purpose for our lives is to know and do His will, period. To finish God's work for us, we must first know and understand what His will is. Following our Lord's example, if we have come to the end of our lives with the testimony that we have finished the purpose for which He made us, we must have a clear view of that purpose. Will, following our example of the Lord Jesus... Will we come to the end of our life and say, it's finished. I fulfilled it. That's what the Lord did. Queen Elizabeth, this book I'm reading. Of course, one of the most famous monarchs of England, she said this on her deathbed. She said, quote, oh my God, it's over. I've come to the end of it. The end, the end. I have only one life. And have to and have to be done with, and to have to have done with it, to have lived and loved and triumphed, and now to know it's over. One may defy everything else, but this. Does that sound like someone who's saying it's finished? No. It sounds like someone who had no consciousness of the purpose of their life, of the will of God, of completion. It's someone who lived for the wrong thing and came to the end unsatisfied. But see, you and I know the will of God. And if you and I live for the will of God and fulfill that purpose, we'll come to the end of our life like Christians before us have. And they'll be like, I had a good time with the Lord. I fulfilled what God wanted me to do. Let's pray.